Welcome to this episode of the Atlanta Career Journey Podcast. Today's guest is Amanda Anderson, who is the owner and executive producer at Circa 24 Pictures. I first met Amanda when she was in IT recruiting and she had already explored a couple of careers at that time. I found her to be incredibly smart, motivated, and with a genuine thirst for knowledge. Fast forward a few years and she and her husband Kyle have started their own production company and I can't wait to hear more about her business. So welcome to the podcast, Amanda. Thanks for having me, Paul. Happy to be here. Yeah. And, and one of the things I left out is you're, you're uh, very pregnant and expecting any day now. So I appreciate the time today. Very, very pregnant, but it's a good distraction. Happy to be a part of it. Um, just hope I don't go into labor while we're talking. We'll be oh, wouldn't that be something? <laughs> That'll go right to the top of the Apple podcast. Right. right. <laughs> so, well, let's get started. Tell me a little bit about where you grew up. That is one of the hardest questions for yes. me to answer. I think it's easier to talk about where I didn't grow up. <laughs> um, and before you ask, my family is uh, military. They're all Marines, but they were out before I was born. So that had nothing to do with it. Um, I have lived in pretty much every geographical part of the United States. I was born in uh, Hershey, Pennsylvania. Um, and I grew up in the Midwest in Indiana, where my mom is originally from. And then I spent a lot of my adolescence in Florida, um, in central Florida, in the Lakeland Plant City area, had a short stint in California, um, and then back to uh, Florida, where <clears throat> I eventually went to college and spent many years there before moving to Atlanta. So I, I generally claim Florida is where I grew up, but I've kind of had a taste of uh, every part of the United States throughout my life. Well, that's, you know, that type of traveling experience kind of lends yourself to being a little bit more um, resourceful and, you know, bold if you have to make decisions and you're not kind of, oh, I've been here for so long, I'd hate to give mm -hmm. them what I have. So I think that probably set the pace of, you know, where you are now, what you've been doing. So I... Oh, go ahead. I always looked at it as an adventure. You know, you have to learn how to acclimate. And um, I just kind of got used to my parents telling me, hey, you know, your dad got a promotion, we're moving, or this opportunity came up. And I think that really translated into uh, kind of my approach to life and, and career and my experiences too, is just, you know, embracing change, which is hard, mm -hmm. um, but making the most of it too. So I always loved it. I love that it allows me to connect with people um, from all over in different ways. I can generally find something in common with everyone. Um, and I attribute that quite a bit to me traveling around so much. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have siblings growing up? I do. I have two older brothers. I'm the youngest of three and the only uh, girl. So I uh, will let you kind of paint the picture of what growing up <laughs> in that environment was like. But to me, it was perfect. I'm very close with my family. Um, still I'm, to I'm sure you can hold your own uh, with any sort of discussion. So <laughs> Absolutely, especially because they're all Marines. I mean, my mom, my sister-in-law, my brothers, my dad all Marines. And uh, they, they taught me at a young age to be able to hold my own. So. Yeah, that's great. It's good, yeah. good training ground in a number of ways. <laughs> so let's talk about uh, high school. So in high school, were you, um, were you kind of a, a music athlete? Did you have a great study ethic? Were there certain subjects or were you interested in art? Well, tell me what you're interested in. I uh, kind of dabbled in everything. Mm -hmm. uh, I 
found that school came very naturally to me. I was fortunate in that way. I love to study. I love to learn. Um, I was the the kid that math was my favorite subject. So mm-hmm. um, studying was really uh, more of a, a hobby for me. And then as far as clubs go, um, I did band for two years. I played the flute. Uh, my parents tried really hard to get us involved in a lot of different things to make sure we were well-rounded. Mm-hmm. And I appreciated that. So I did that for two years, decided um, I wanted to focus on some other areas more. And uh, the four years I was in high school, I actually was a part of Future Farmers of America, FFA, Mm -hmm. uh, which I highly recommend uh, getting involved in some way. They have a great um, approach to community and, you know, giving back um, and just learning about life and, you know, the cycle and um, just some really awesome life experience from being a part of that organization. So uh, I was often seen with my um, my animals that I raised, and there were all kinds of competitions that I was a part of. And it just really got me exposed to a lot of different areas that I might be interested in that I could, you know, then explore later on in life. Yeah. Uh, so that was probably one of the most impactful uh, things that I was involved in in high school. What um, what state were you in when you? I were was in Florida, so okay. Florida, which is a huge agricultural area. Yeah, because I I grew up in South Florida, mm-hmm. and we moved to Atlanta when I was in ninth grade, just before ninth grade, and they had FFA at our high school here in Atlanta, but they mm-hmm. didn't in Broward County. I mean, it was kind of a you know metropolis. <laughs> there was, but right. I, you know, I say that, but there were definitely farms out west. Right. Um, you know, lots of cows and they've all been, you know, overrun, you know, since then, but you're right. Central Florida, um, really big, big farming, you know, as well as obviously the orange groves and all that, but mm-hmm. yeah, definitely agricultural things. So, yeah, I, I had moved back to Florida for high school from, uh, Southern California. And so when I would talk to my friends in California and tell them, oh, I have to get up early to, you know, go to the barn before school to go take care of my pig or my cow or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think they knew how to respond. Like, what do you mean you have a barn at your yeah. school? Um, so, you know, it really exposed not only me to uh, a different lifestyle and um, industry, but it also allowed me to share that with other people who maybe wouldn't have that exposure. And I think, um, you know, FFA was really the first taste I got at building a network. Mm -hmm. Um, You have these conventions where kids come from all over the country and it's just so natural to connect with them and form these friendships that have lasted, you know, my entire life. And um, it was the first glimpse I got into seeing how important a network is as I look to, you know, go on to college graduate, get into my career, explore opportunities. I mean, those are relationships that have transcended all of that um, experience. So yeah, it was instrumental in who I am as a person. That's actually a really good um, quality. And I think as as high school students, you don't realize that that's one of the benefits and, and probably really important benefit that you get from that. But um, it's nice to see that you've recognized that. And, and mm-hmm. you know, that's as you've built your certainly in your recruiting career, but even now um, you know, you've, you've got that almost as a second nature to build those networks and leverage them. Absolutely. Very cool. So as you were um, finishing up high school, were you thinking of college? Were you thinking of doing something else? Tell me what your, what your thought process was. I was. Um, no I, Marines I, I, in the future? No. 
<laughs> no, definitely not. And definitely not if my parents had a say in it. They never encouraged any of us to, <laughs> to go into the military. And I'm the only one who listened. Um, <laughs> uh, I had big ambitions to um, be in the medical field in some way or in the sciences. I had always wanted to be a doctor. Uh, but then through FFA, I got really involved in research for um, the citrus industry. There's a huge uh, epidemic within the, the citrus industry that's kind of really taking it down um, across the world. And so I got really excited about that, really interested in that. And so I started exploring more of the research side of things rather than the um, uh, practitioner side. Mm -hmm. And so I knew college was on the horizon. Um, I had applied to a couple different schools. My top choice was the University of Florida. And the University of Florida was the only school that I did not get into. Um, it's a huge, uh, my, my high school was a huge feeder school for that college. So it was extremely competitive. Mm -hmm. um, I had entertained the idea of going out of state. This was around the recession. And so, you know, that wasn't a huge issue. I had a scholarship to, um, to a, any Florida schools, 100% covered. And so my parents were big advocates of that. Mm -hmm. And I decided that I would rather wait two years um, and go to a state college and then reapply to the University of Florida because that was where I really wanted to be. Um, so that's what I did. I went to Polk State College for two years, um, which was in Lakeland, Florida, where, where I grew up. That was difficult because you graduate from high school thinking, okay, I'm going to go off and be this adult and have some independence. Mm -hmm. And you know, I was very blessed that my family was able to, um, you know, allow me to stay at home and go to school. And there were a lot of benefits to that, but there was definitely a moment in my life where, you know, things didn't happen how I thought they would. I was a straight A student, you know, I was involved in all these clubs. I tried to do all the things to, you know, really stand out. Um, on an application and then life says, Hey, we're going to redirect you. Mm -hmm. um, so that was tough, but it allowed me a lot of opportunities. Um, and then, you know, I reapplied to the university of Florida and ended up being accepted. And that's where I finished out my junior and senior year. Was it, was it difficult doing that kind of mid college transfer or were there benefits to doing that? The mm -hmm. reason why I ask is I, when I started at Georgia tech, I was extremely underqualified in a number of ways. <laughs> and had I gone that route you just described, I may have gotten some of the basics and foundations that may have given me a little more confidence than, you know, jumping right into the deep end. Mm -hmm. um, that's a really great question. I think it's a really important question because when I look back at uh, my life and if there was something that I would consider doing differently, it, that would be it. Um, as a of someone who was a natural learner, loved to study, as I mentioned, um, mm -hmm. it was extremely difficult jumping in as a junior to a university with 35,000, you know, undergrads, <laughs> yeah. um, going from Polk State College, where had phenomenal teachers, my classes were, you know, at the max 30 people, and you had individualized attention. And then when I go to UF, my very first class is organic chemistry, 400 people, there's mm -hmm. two classes. So you have 800 people in your organic chemistry class. And for the first time in my life, I had to study and I had no idea how. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't know anyone there because everyone, you know, kind of makes those connections as a freshman and a sophomore. Yeah. 
Um, and I would say that was truly the hardest part is I'm such a social person. I love connecting with people. Um, I love helping people and also the reciprocation of that. And to move to a new place, not know anyone, and there not be an infrastructure in place to help me um, facilitate those relationships. Um, you know, I, I definitely think I missed out on something there, not coming in as a freshman or a sophomore. Yeah. And then just the caliber of, you know, the classes that I was taking. Um, I went from, like I said, not really having to dedicate too much time to school just came naturally to being well over my head, um, you know, just trying to keep up. So my first, my first semester at UF was definitely rough. Yeah. Um, But, you know, that also taught me a lot. So you can kind of play both sides there. Um, Mm -hmm. I would definitely encourage other people who are looking at college, um, if you have the opportunity to go in as a freshman, that's the advice I would give you. But that doesn't mean it's impossible to go in as a transfer student. There's just going to be challenges that you wouldn't have had you started out, you know, at that that school to begin with. Yeah. What were some things that you did to connect once you got there as a junior? Ask for help. <laughs> um, <you laughs> that's kinda, a big lesson, too, because I think a lot is. of students don't know how or don't want to. It is. Um, you just have to humble yourself. And uh, or, or at least for me, that was the case, you know, coming from not really needing to ask for help prior to now I'm I'm drowning. Um, I, I would just go to the people in my class, the people who sat in the front and the people who were at office hours. And I just say, hey, do you want to, you know, be study buddies? And um, a lot of the time, unfortunately, it was them helping me. I don't know how much of a help I was, but um <laughs> But that, you know, people are willing to help. You just have to kind of make it known what you need. Mm-hmm. And um, I also, you know, would form uh, relationships with my professors and let them get to know me and understand what my struggles were so that whatever was in their capabilities to help me, they could offer that. And when you're at a big university, they're not going to be seeking you out. You have to go and seek them out. And so I had to basically present all my cards to, you know, these people and say, Hey, I'm, I'm struggling. Like, what can we do here? Um, And, and that really was just, instrumental in my success. And then the other thing is I got involved with a um, Christian sorority, which is really close to my heart. Um, I wasn't looking for it, but um, I did have someone from my high school who just, you know, randomly reached out to me that went to UF and invited me. And I said, you know what, what do I have to lose? So I went and that opened up a huge network of just, you know, women who were so willing to be there for each other. And it turned out uh, many people in my sorority were also science majors. And um, I I don't know that I would have gotten through my coursework without their help. Yeah. That's a really good point too. I think having any sort of network helps, but I, you know, I remember I, when I went to Georgia tech, I was already in Atlanta. And so I thought, Oh, sorority and Greek life. It's just for parties. <laughs> right. Because right. you already know people anyway. Right. But you know, now that I've seen my youngest, she's at Auburn and it's two hours away in a different state. And a lot mm-hmm. of folks are from other places and it's a really great opportunity to sort of feel like you belong. And, you know, you have, people you can lean on and, and there's just kind of that built-in network that you can build from. And I think that is really helpful. 
Absolutely. I think it's um, underestimated or people might think, oh, you know, later on in life, um, I'll be able to call on those people for help. Uh, that's kind of how I always envisioned it is, you know, maybe you don't know the people in your, your fraternity or sorority that well, but then later on, um, you happen to find out you both are from the same uh, fraternity or sorority and, you know, you're able to have that mutual um relationship or partnership where you can help each other out but it really starts from day one mm-hmm. and um i just really underestimated that but that's where so much of my growth came from um especially during my college years and those are people that i still consider you know such close friends um at this stage in life and i won't say how many years that's been <laughs> but it's been <laughs> enough that that's you know a huge statement to be able to make that those people are still so present in my life. It's a great point. Um, and I don't mind dating myself, but this <laughs> afternoon we're going to go to a college graduation party for one of my college friends who two of his children uh, just graduated from college, one from law school and one from undergrad last year. And so we've known each other for 30 years and we met at a business fraternity at Georgia Tech and we've stayed in touch over the years. And it's, you know, you forge those friendships early. You you go through a lot and then you're there for each other through the ups and downs of life. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's really important to kind of keep those friendships. It is. So I would highly recommend, you know, if it's not a sorority or fraternity, um, finding some kind of club or something that you're passionate about. Um, and, and I would suggest looking for an organization that's not the biggest one on campus uh, because then you know, at least for me, I I think if I were to do that, I would have just been putting myself in a similar situation that I was already in, where Mm -hmm. there's so many people, it's hard to get truly tuned in. And I kind of sought out smaller groups, um, where I could easily have that one on one connection with people, or I would find myself in a leadership position, um, or in an opportunity to be able to help other people. And that, um, that really made my college experience. So that would be my advice is to seek out something that you're passionate about, but is small enough that you can truly be involved rather than, you know, just be a number. That's great advice. Yeah. I think that that can be applied anywhere to anybody. So that's, that's amazing. So you were, uh, what were you majoring at at Florida? I was a biology major. Okay. Uh, So when I went in uh, as a, uh, freshman to state college, I actually got an opportunity to work for the Citrus Research Center in Central Florida, which is the largest and most renowned um, citrus research program in the world. And that was what I thought I wanted to do. I was very passionate about the effect um, that this you know disease that a lot of people don't know about is having on the citrus industry. So I was very fortunate. I thought, wow, my <laughs> my life is made. I got my opportunity to do exactly what I want to do while I'm still in school. Mm-hmm. And when I graduate, you know, it'll still be there for me. I can do this all through college. Well, I uh, I started working there, and I realized how important um, the personal interaction is for me. I needed to have some kind of social aspect to what I was doing. And essentially what my days looked like was just being a bench researcher, doing tests, you know, day in and day out, and really not interacting with anyone else. 
So as much as I loved the content of the work that I was doing, um, after a year, I decided that, you know, it just wasn't going to be fulfilling for me in the ways that I truly needed my life to be designed. And I think that was a really powerful moment because here I am doing something that I love, Mm -hmm. but it showed me how I prioritized, you know, what I needed out of life. And while it was feeding this like science side of me, um, it wasn't pouring into these other parts of me. And I found that those other parts were more important. Um, And so, so I, you know, took all that in. um, And when I graduated from Polk State as a, uh, after my sophomore year with my AA, um, I knew going into UF that. I did not want to do citrus researching. Um, I was thankful to figure that out ahead of time. And uh, just a little uh, side fact, um, I had actually gotten into Penn State, which uh, was my dream school being from Pennsylvania, would have loved to have gone there. Um, Financially, it wasn't possible. But had I gone to Penn State as a freshman, uh, I was going to go in for that specific program. And I would have gone that entire four years without really having that hands-on experience and never knowing if I was going to love it or hate it until I actually got into that career. Yeah. So I look at that as a blessing. Um, <laughs> Sometimes kinda... you don't know there's a blessing there at the time, right? <laughs> right. Right. You think, you know, you're just seeing all these closed doors, but um, it, when I look back, it was all very intentionally designed and I'm thankful for that. Yeah. Uh, so then when I went into UF as a junior, I was back on track saying, okay, a doctor is what's what I want to be. Um, I had big aspirations to be a reconstructive surgeon for mm-hmm. kids with facial deformities. That's something I'm really um, passionate about, something that I'm involved with. Um, on the side personally, you know, till this, uh, to this day. Um, but so I started, you know, kind of redirecting and getting involved in volunteering at the hospital and things like that. And that's what kept me on that science track. So biology was my major, um, took me about five years to, <laughs> to get through it with the transferring and kind of, you know, changing my, um, my focus a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is what I eventually ended up graduating with was a bachelor's in biology. All right. So that's, and I know bi- biology is not easy. Um, my, my middle child graduated with that degree as well. And some of the classes she took just blew my mind. So um, yeah. kudos to you. It is not an easy major. What were you thinking uh, with coming out of, of college? Did you, um, did you have some companies you had had uh, talked to or interned or a focus or what were you thinking coming out of school? No. And, and that was um, kind of another hindrance I think of coming in as a junior is I, um, I didn't really know where to start at my college with getting connected with the right uh, people to help me understand how to be prepared for life after college, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So counselors and, and, you know, guidance advisors and um, things like that. I I just was trying to stay afloat, honestly, and get through my classes and adjust to everything else that was new. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as a freshman, you know, they have you, um, they have like a, a process in place where they get you connected with those people. And so I missed out on that quite a bit. Um, and so when I graduated, <laughs> I felt like I was floundering a little bit, you know, I was studying for my MCAT and I was um, working and 
I um, was putting together my application for medical school, and I actually had a friend um, who was still at UF. She sent me an email that got sent out to their listserv, and it was for a doctor in Tampa who was looking for a medical assistant. They didn't need to be certified, um, but it was so that they could get their patient hours that would help them for either nurse practitioner school or medical school, mm-hmm. whatever they were looking to do. And so I jumped on that opportunity and applied right away. And um, Tampa's not too far from you know where I was in Lakeland, it's about 45 minutes away. Mm-hmm. And um, ended up getting that position. And I worked there for... I think around three years um, and absolutely loved it. Uh, it. It definitely opened my eyes to how important the um, personal relationship aspect of any position I was in uh, was to me. Um, so that was really my first taste of, you know, a, a job after college. Um, but <laughs> looking back at the question you asked me, I didn't have any preparation for that. I, you know, hadn't been talking to other companies and building those relationships and setting up internships and, and things like that. And um, I, I definitely think had I invested more into forming a network before college was over, then I would have had more opportunities or at least more people who could help me after I graduated. Yeah. But I will say though, that, you know, to your credit, you also knew what you didn't want to do. And I think, you know, you mentioned earlier about the research aspect and being somewhat in solitude as you go through your day, you know, you needed that social interaction. And I think being a medical assistant, you know, probably reinforced that is what you need and what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so then I was also able, once I was in that position to appreciate it and understand, okay, this is very validating that this is the line of work that I want to be in is, you know, um, whether it's patient care or just working directly with people, you know, whatever that ends up looking like, I knew that that was really important to me. Yeah. Yeah. My, and my daughter who the biology uh, graduate, Mm -hmm. she's a medical assistant at a dermatology office. And Mm -hmm. so she's doing a lot of what you just described, you know, kind of learning about social dynamics and aspects and, you know, what, what patients come in for, what they need, providing that kind of care, seeing the various um, personalities that the doctors have and kind of figuring out what works for you with your patients, as well as with your peers in the office. Absolutely. I mean, um, I'm not sure how large the offices that your daughter works in, but the one that I was in was one doctor, one office manager, and myself. So I handled everything clinical that the doctor didn't handle, and I handled everything administrative that the office manager didn't handle. And, um, you know, if the office manager took time off, then I was handling everything in the office and clinical. Um, So you got a lot of great exposure. That's great. Absolutely. Um, I truly got to see what it would be like to be a physician without being a physician Um, and knowing if that's what you wanted to do right before you dive into the four years and hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. Right. Exactly. Which I also recommend for anyone who's pursuing, you know, advanced degrees or professional degrees. Um, there's nothing wrong with going straight into to school. And if you have that opportunity, then absolutely do it. But by the time I was, you know, 23, 24, I had so much life experience and, and hands-on experience, good or bad, you know, just like with the researching opportunity um, that ended up 
not being what I wanted to do, but I had that hands-on experience. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you can do it at the same time you're in school, that's great. But, uh, you know, I did not want to go to professional school for four more years and then, you know, get into a residency for who knows how long, six yeah. years. Um, for surgery, and then find out, hey, this isn't <laughs> what I want to do. Um, so yeah. I, I definitely suggest if there's any way, even if it's just volunteering, I did a lot of that too. I would work at a clinic with the doctor that I worked with. We would go once um, a month and uh, you know offer free health care to um, underserved communities. And um, just that exposure too. I mean, I, I couldn't I couldn't take in enough information. I wanted to just learn more and be more hands-on and um, get more involved in the medical community. And it, it was something I was extremely passionate about. And I could really only understand that by physically doing it. And um, I think there's some barriers to that inside the classroom. So I would definitely say if you have an opportunity to get involved outside of the classroom, whatever that looks like for you, then take it. Yeah. Yeah, that's really great advice because you do kind of get a sense and uh, of what real life is like. And I think giving giving back to the community is really important. And I think you're you go into that field because you care about people. And I think that gives you an opportunity to sort of, you know, take action on that that goal or that dream or what you're you're motivated to do. So I think mm-hmm. all of those things, you really did a great job. So it sounds like you've got a lot of a lot of experience. You've got an opportunity. Some things are kind of li- lining up for you. What were you thinking in terms of the medical field in general that maybe you thought, maybe this isn't quite for me? Um, That's a very (laughs) humbling question to answer because now that I'm, you know, years removed from it and can look back, uh, Uh I think it came down to the, where I was at in my life. I wasn't dedicated enough to the things that it required of me. Um, in order to achieve that. So when it came to studying for my MCAT, you know, while I was working full time and I was, you know, living on my own um, and kind of growing into that adult, um, like transitional period in my life, Mm -hmm. I definitely didn't prioritize studying for my MCAT. Like it was a full-time job, which is really what you need to do. And I tried too hard to, um, I just invested in other areas of my life and didn't sacrifice how I needed to, um, as far as getting into medical school goes. So, you know, and, and I think that's normal. Um, I, I think that, uh, that's a choice that everyone is kind of faced with at some point in their life is, you know, do I prioritize my responsibilities or do I prioritize what sounds more fun or easier? Um, and I just, I wasn't as disciplined as I needed to be. And, uh, so what that led me to was, you know, not, not doing as well on my MCAT as I would have liked and not getting into medical school when I applied for the first time. Um, and I had, you know, full intention of reapplying. And then at that point, life had kind of caught up with me and, and took me in another direction. So I would say I never reached a point where I was like, I don't want to be a doctor anymore. That's still mm-hmm. something that I'm very passionate about. I love learning about medicine. Um, in my spare time, I'll read, you know, scientific journals and (laughs) about diagnosis and, um, you know, 
just anything I can get my hands on with that field. But um, my life circumstances brought me to a point where it said, okay, you have to choose between this or this. And uh, not to be cliche, but because of my choices, I kind of just missed the boat on my opportunity to pursue medical school without there being a lot of life and responsibility ramifications. Yeah. And and sometimes life, you know, kind of throws a lot at you and you have to deal with, you know, really what's most important. And Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, you'd mentioned passion earlier and I think, you know, you're still passionate about the medical field, but maybe, you know, like you mentioned MCAT being a full-time job, if you can't devote eight or 12 hours a day studying for that, you've got to work and pay bills or do whatever else you're doing. um, That's, that's an acceptable trade-off in my book. You're still, you know, you're you're still able to volunteer and do things that you might want to do. Just might be, might not be your your profession that um, you were meant to do. You know, right? And I think that um, that was really the hard pill to swallow is how you can be so passionate about something, but. Um, it not be your entire life. And that was a, you know, a plan I had for myself since I was little, when you're in second grade and they ask you what you want to be, it was always, I want to be a doctor. And it wasn't just because it was like, okay, you're a doctor, you're a firefighter, you know, or whatever the other common options are, is I truly knew at such a young age that I was really passionate about taking care of people. And, um, and I loved, you know, learning about science and anything to do with the medical field. But I, I wish that I had had someone tell me this when I was going through that phase in my life, which is your dreams are not going to be impossible, um, you know, per se at any stage of your life, but they will get harder to pursue. And, um, you know, that's just natural as you start taking on responsibility, you know, we're about to have a child and, um, I have, you know, other life that now I'm responsible for, not just physically, but financially. And it just, it, as you start packing on those life responsibilities, you have less room to make selfish decisions. And I don't mean selfish in a negative way, but, um, you know, it's no longer just about me. It's, yeah, about it's less me. about you. Correct. Right. It's, yep. it's more about my family and what's right for us. And I can't just go off and, you know, make a decision based on what would make me happy or satisfied. It has to also serve my family. Um, so I, I wish someone would have told me, you know, I know it's hard. I know you're, you're growing as a person and you want to invest in that, you know, right out of college. But if you can just buckle down and, um, you know, sacrifice this, you know, couple of years of your life, um, you'll, you'll have what you really desire. And, you know, I'm thankful for the way my life has gone. I'm very happy with the way my life has gone, but um, I wish I would have at least had that information to make, make a more informed decision at that age. Yeah. And sometimes it's, it's uh, school hard knocks. You know, I think there's some people, (laughs) you know, um, I know myself, sometimes I have to learn, I'll call it the hard way, but it's, you know, it's theory versus applied. And sometimes you can read or hear about other people's stories and go, ah, that's you. Uh, right. That's, you know, that's not me. I know what I can do and I'm fine. And then as you go through it, you, everyone has to sort of realize what, what sacrifices you're willing to make. You know, if you have to be all in, and I'm, I don't know anything about the medical field, but if you have to be all in on being a doctor, is that how your entire life is going to be where you're all in every day and other things are just going to be sacrificed, you know? And so I think really as- Yeah. So I think as you have to, it's, 
the preparation it might be indicative of what that profession is as well. And I know I, I know people that are doctors and they're fantastic and they enjoy it. Um, so it's it's really up to the individual to figure out what that balance looks like for them and how they make it happen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I agree with that. Yeah. So you get uh, you get to this this big inflection point. Um, mm-hmm. What are you thinking about doing next? Paying bills. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, as much as I loved what I did and was very passionate about it, um, I was not you know financially in a position where I could really afford to do that long term, and uh, was faced with the decision of, you know, do I look for something else? I knew that there was not really anything else in the medical field that I was qualified for that would bring the income that I needed in order to be independent and, and to sustain, um, you know, my, uh, my lifestyle. And so I had a friend who, um, I was catching up with and she mentioned that, you know, she had gotten this opportunity in Atlanta, um, working in staffing and I had no idea what staffing was, but, um, you know, there's two sides to it. There's recruiting and there's account management. Account management is, um, more sales focused, which is what my background had been, um, all through college. I had been a a manager for a, a retail company and, um, I loved, you know, connecting with people and, and she said, you know, I think this would be a really good fit for you. And I mean, as blind as you could be, I went in and interviewed having no mm-hmm. idea what I was really getting into. And this was all, you know, in a matter of like, I think a few days after she, she told me about the opportunity, I was set up for an interview in another state and it was just all moving very fast. <laughs> and, um, went up for the interview, got offered the job on the spot and came back and, you know, let my boss know that I would be moving on, which was obviously very blindsiding to them too, because I hadn't really even wrapped my head around it. Mm-hmm. Um, I had just started entertaining the idea of looking for another opportunity. And so I, I think two weeks from the day that she brought up this role to me, um, I had all my stuff packed up and moved to Atlanta and had a new apartment. Oh, Wow. So it was a whirlwind. <laughs> yeah, so your sure. early early childhood moving training came into play there, didn't it? Exactly. <laughs> and you know, it's so funny. I'm learning so much about myself in this conversation because I hate change. I I really <laughs> am resistant to it in, in my head. Um, it makes me uncomfortable and stresses me out. But um, I think that knowing those things about yourself allows you to then recognize when they're happening and force yourself to embrace them. Mm-hmm. And so that's what that was, is I was terrified and I was, you know, it's like, what am I doing? I, this has nothing to do with the medical field. And here I am packing up and moving my whole life, my whole family for the first time, including, you know, both my brothers and my brother's wife. Um, we all lived in, you know, a 20 minute radius of each other in Florida. And I was like, Oh, I'm ruining everything by moving away. And um, it just, there were a lot of ripple effects to me making that decision. And um, I just took a leap, a huge leap of faith and moved up to Atlanta. And um, I ended up being in that position for, I think three years. And um, while it had nothing to do with the medical field, um, the, the experiences that I gained and the knowledge and exposure to the corporate world that I gained was just priceless. Um, mm-hmm. It ended up, 
you know, being exactly what I needed, even though I was so unsure of it uh, at the time. And I just was kind of moving forward uh, in the direction that I was being sent, hoping that it would work out. Yeah. Did you feel like, cause it's, it's certainly different in the medical field, but there are some common threads, right? You're, you still have a social interaction. You're helping, you know, people on behalf of their companies to enable them to do their business better or, you know, uh, make their, their team more productive or whatever the case is when you're staffing or, or working with a, with a company. So did you feel like you were still getting some of that um, kind of innate desire to help people? Absolutely. Um, And I'm sure some people look at my resume or my experience and say, okay, what's the common thread here? I don't see it. But what it is, is it's client focused. It's person focused. Um, Mm -hmm. I I say I'm in the business of relationship management because the relationship comes first in any engagement you have with anyone, whether it's a patient, whether it's a client. Um, And it's all about gathering information and understanding what your partner needs and then coming up with a solution for it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I definitely saw a lot of overlap. And um, I think I had a lot of preparation going into that role. And I'm also, I'm a very empathetic person and I take an interest in the people that I um, am interacting with to really understand what their needs are. And I think that um, as an account manager in IT staffing, you know, IT is such a huge industry all over the country, but especially in Atlanta. And I mean, you just have staffing firms, you know, beating, I, I, I don't even want to know, Paul, how many <laughs> emails a day you would get from, from staffing firms wanting to yeah. sing with you. It's a um, lot. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of competition out there. And I found that what allowed me to differentiate myself was the personal connection and finding that very early on. So again, when I look back at not just my experience as a medical assistant, but in my life, you know, moving around and being involved in so many different areas of, of interest, um, getting put into situations where I didn't know anyone. Uh, and I, and I had to overcome that. I mean, all of that together, you know, really prepared me for the challenges that I would see working in it staffing as an account manager. That's a great point. Yeah. And I think it does come down to people regardless of the industry. Mm-hmm. And when you've got uh, a huge amount of competition, you know, it does come down to relationships because, uh, you know, anybody can sort of fill a box with a person. But if I don't trust you or you don't understand what my real needs are, we're not going to hit the mark. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's I think that's how sales has probably changed in some some regards from just, you know, just cold call, work the phone, someone will bite to, um Hey, I trust this person. They know me. Uh, you mentioned empathy. I think that's huge to really be able to make that kind of connection and to kind of slow down for a minute and say, hey, I'm here to help you and let's work mm-hmm. together so that you can do your job better. Absolutely. And I mean, trust me, there was still my fair share of cold calling. You ha- you have to go through that. Yeah. Um, and it, it is not my favorite, but it is also, you know, a skill that I am so thankful for um, because I think you encounter that to some degree, whether it's in your career or not in, in your life um, where you're going to have to approach people that you don't know and you're going to need to ask them for something. Um, and so to have that skill is so important, but that doesn't mean that it has to be void of 
um, consideration and sensitivity and empathy for the person on the other end. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that was, it was an opportunity that really allowed me to discover how I operate and what my work ethic is and what my approach to my clients was. Yeah. Um, and so I started off as, you know, the, the new kid on the block and I had to beat down doors and, make opportunities happen and bring in new clients. And then once I had proved myself um, in in that capacity, I was uh, brought on to a huge account in the Atlanta area that um, had been a a client of the company I worked for for many years and was very successful. And they needed to add another person to support the amount of opportunity there. And I felt very privileged that I was selected to be that person. And um, that was when I really started to love what I was doing because it allowed me to get so ingrained with a client where I knew people on an individual basis. I knew so much more about them than just, you know, how many headcount they needed or what their projections were for next year, or what their business challenges were. I knew about their kids and their family and, um, you know, just it, it brought so much more joy to what I was doing. And because of that, and the because of the um, real relationships I was building with my partners at this client, uh, it ended up turning into a national account for us. And so I found myself traveling all over the country to meet with these people face to face, who I already knew what their challenges were, but to have that personal connection with them, to bring so much more value as a staffing firm and as a partner to them, mm-hmm. um, to, to really uh, overcome their business challenges. And that was probably the most fun I ever had in, in staffing was just being so autonomous and being seen as this, um, this true partner to the people that I worked with. Yeah. And uh, really seeing the impact that my work was making to another company. Um, and that's where I discovered not only was the relationship management piece important to me, but also um, finding creative solutions, finding new solutions, you know, needing a person and then filling a seat is a, a age old problem. Um, and you can you can overcome it a lot of different ways, you know, through recruiting and getting, you know, resourceful that way. But um, I was able to work with my clients to, you know, find um, creative ways to, to overcome those by, you know, maybe building out classes or redefining what the hiring process was like or um, knowing their business so well that I could do the hiring for them. And, you know, it didn't take them away from these other uh, priorities that they had. And you can only get to that point by being so ingrained with your client that you understand what their pain points are um, and can collaborate to come up with a solution. So I learned a lot of um, a lot of techniques that now you know I carry into what I do to this day, um, and it translates into to my work, um, you know, on a daily basis. Yeah, that's great, and I know. You know, I met you early on in your staffing career and yes, you, I did. See you, were, <laughs> you know, you asked a lot of great questions. You were really genuinely interested in your clients. And I think that it certainly, as you just described, 
served you well. It, it gave you um, recognition and you got a chance to really do some amazing things. So you mentioned what you're doing in, in a general sense now. Let's talk about that segue. So you're doing really well. You're killing it. Um, what's, what's going on where you're thinking, okay, maybe this is not my final stop. Yes. Um, <laughs> I knew that IT staffing served a purpose in my life, but that it didn't completely fulfill me. And I think that's a really important lesson too. I'm not unrealistic where I think that everything in my life has to feel full um, and satisfied uh, in order for me to be happy. I recognize that sometimes you compromise in areas so that you can have things in other areas. And I had just reached a point where I wanted more. Um, as much as I, I think I'm good at sales, I wanted to be in an opportunity where I could really connect with people without this like looming, like, okay, what are you going to sell me today? Um, I, I just, I knew that there was there was something else out there for me and I didn't know what it was um, really until I met my husband. Um, so my husband, Kyle, he has come up through the film industry. He's a director of photography. And then um, he works with the union here in Atlanta as a, a gaffer and a set electrician. So he works on like the bigger movies and TV shows and then does commercials with um, smaller businesses and, you know, over the course of our relationship, I learned more and more about the film industry and kind of what we've talked about um, with my other experiences and, and how they transitioned. I saw so many parallels between what I had already done and the film industry. And so, you know, I started kind of thinking, okay, well, if I were to exist in the film industry, what would I be doing? And what would you know, be fulfilling to me. And as I did research and I had networked with more people and I had gotten more exposed to the film industry, um, I saw where there was so much overlap between being an executive producer and everything else in my background. Um, it's a lot about logistics and vendor partnerships and um, planning and client relationships. And um, you basically make you create the infrastructure for, you know, whatever the film is, you handle all of the client interaction, you are the face of, you know, the production, and in my case of the company, um, and you basically make sure that the, the magic happens, and that on filming day, everyone's happy and satisfied, and um, then you wrap everything up at the end, and that's obviously a very condensed version of what I do, but it was it sounds so easy man anybody could oh, do yeah, it right? any <laughs> <laughs> um but you know at the end of the day what it came down to was being in an industry that i'm very passionate about i'm very excited about um working with clients directly and in my case that is oftentimes ceos business owners people who have invested their life into building um, their company, much like I have. And so I can connect with them on that level, but they're so invested in what they've built that I have such a responsibility to them to understand their business and to come up with a creative solution to um, 
affect their their business goals and objectives. So those are the commonalities with what I was doing in IT staffing, but on such a, a bigger scale, such a, a higher degree of impact to a company. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to have, like, I, I look at what I do as an honor every day, every time I interact with a client, because they're trusting me with their business in an area that a lot of people don't have an understanding of. The film industry is pretty... Um, out of sight, out of mind for a lot of companies. And, and I wouldn't expect it to be any different because it is uh, a huge undertaking to, uh, you, you can't have it be just another arm of, of your business. And it can't just be another hat that you wear. You truly have to invest in an expert um, in that industry to create something that will have the impact to your business that you're hoping it does. And so I look at every opportunity to engage with a potential client as, you know, a huge honor um, and a huge responsibility to protect what they have built. Yeah. And I think that's really important what you said about expertise in that industry, because I think we all feel like we're amateur filmmakers with our (laughs) phones and the camera and, you know, Instagram and whatever else. But I think that is um, just like photography or anything else that's creative. It's, it's less about having a camera and it's more about the eye and the creative force behind it to see what you're doing is going to relate back to your customer, your objectives, what you're trying to do. And so I was joking earlier about how it sounds so easy, but it is not. And it's a really, um, specialized group that I think, you know, what you and your husband are doing is pretty fantastic. So that's, that's amazing. I appreciate that. And, um, you know, a lot of what you just uh, emphasized is what we see happen on the front end in pre-production. It's a lot Mm. of discovery meetings. It's a lot of consultations. It's a lot of collaboration with the client to make sure that what we're designing is exactly um, or as close to what they are, are wanting to execute for their business. And for me, it's not just you know, asking probing questions, I have to be thinking from a marketing standpoint. Um, I have to have that knowledge. I have to understand, um, you know, what the the impact is going to be to their organization. So I have to know how to ask those questions and get that information out of them. And um, you're right. A lot of people, we, we have this view of film is like, oh, you know, our iPhones now have eight cameras on them. (laughs) We can just, (laughs) you know, do it ourselves. But um, whenever my clients show up on production day, I think, and I know because they've, you know, shared it with me, they're kind of taken aback at at everything that goes into creating a professional film. Yeah. Um, All the things that are going on behind the scenes. And that's my job too, is to kind of shield them from that. Obviously, I'm very transparent about our process and they're involved as much as they, they would like to be. But Um, they don't need to know all of the, um, how the sausage is made. Exactly. Exactly. They just need to know I'm going to make some really great sausage. (laughs) (laughs) Um, if they want my recipe, I can certainly forward it to them, but, um, but stay out of the kitchen. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, and and they shouldn't be in the kitchen too. The thing is they have a business to run. They have other things that are priority. And it just goes back to what I was saying with staffing is, 
getting to the point where you know your clients and their business so well that you can take this off of their plate. They can say, hey, here's what we need. I say, hey, what do you think about this? Great. Okay. I'm going to go do it. Show up on this date and you know, we'll, we'll get it done. And so the other important part of that too, and I cannot emphasize this harder to anyone who's looking to get into the film industry is your team is instrumental. And, and I would say the most important part of a, of a successful production is having um, whether it's contractors like we use or employees that not only you can depend on and um, are reliable, but who know their stuff because Mm -hmm. I am only, you know, one, one part of the recipe, those people that I depend on, on production day or through the creative process, um, they make it happen. And I just, try to make it easy for them. Um, so, and I think that's true in any industry. You know, if you're looking to build a team or be a part of a team, who are you working with? Um, you know, what attributes do they have? And are those attributes that you want to um, be aligned to? Are those attributes that you want to be associated with or that you can stand behind if you're a business owner and say, you know, this is representation of who we are as a business. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's something that, you know, I think is really pivotal Um as you're looking at, uh, you know, a change in your career or next opportunity, or as you're building your, you know, something of your own. That's, that's great advice. And I think, you know, it's, I think it's more obvious in the field that you're in now, because you get together, um, there's a short period of time, I'm totally making this up now, but you're, you're filming (laughs) outside, the sun's coming up, And you need to have people that you know are going to be good and dependable because in 30 minutes, that lighting is going to change and that opportunity is going to be gone. Whereas I think, you know, in a, in a corporate environment, you're generally thinking we're here all day, every day. If it doesn't happen today, we'll get it done tomorrow. You know, I'm seeing, you know, and I'm seeing in like the, where I work with at AWS, sometimes we have a short window to migrate a customer. And so you don't have tomorrow is just another day. It's we got 12 weeks to do this and every day counts. So having the right people, people you can count on, people you don't have to micromanage, and then you can continue that from project to project to project really, really makes a big difference. Absolutely. And having people who have similar experience to what you're filming that day, you know, if Mm -hmm. I'm filming a certain type of of um, production, then I need people who have that experience because they like it from from a commercial to a process film to a social media, like quick edit. That's all a different skill set. And Um, it, there's different planning that goes into and different execution. And the example you gave about lighting, I mean, um, that it's a perfect example. You have a very specific amount of time to get this done and, um, you know, your client is paying for your time. Yeah. So yeah. you, you have to make the most of it and you have to be regimented. If you're ever with me on a, a set, I'm walking around with my shot list, making sure, you know, not only are we getting the shots we need, but we're getting them on time. And there's just, there's so many things to consider in my line of work. And um, every producer's biggest fear is sitting down with your editor at the end and realizing you didn't get a shot you needed or mm-hmm. it didn't come out right or 
you know, you have to, God forbid, go back to the client and say, Hey, we need to reshoot this. I mean, I pray I never find myself in that situation, but um, there's so much that goes into it. And you have to constantly be thinking about all of those things all at once. Yeah. Um, So it's, there's really no downtime, at least for a producer from, you know, the moment you start engaging with a client to the day that you deliver their finished product. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your clock is always ticking. So that's, yeah, that's a lot. So moving from, you know, the staffing industry, you know, I'll just call it working for somebody else to owning your own business. What, what do you like most about your current job and what you're doing now? Um, I'm trying to pick because I, now (laughs) that I, Now that I've done it, I can't imagine doing anything else. Um, I will tell you, it is the scariest, most terrifying thing I've ever done, leaving a secure job where someone else, you know, writes your paychecks mm-hmm. and going out and, and putting your heart and soul and your finances into building something of your own. Um, it is absolutely um, daunting, but there's so much freedom in it. And something just personally that's, you know, and, and this is probably what I love the most about it outside of just loving what I do. You know, when I'm on set, I feel like I am exactly where I'm supposed to be and life just makes sense and everything clicks. And I just feel very fulfilled and um, empowered. Like I am right where I, I was meant to be and what I've been working my whole life towards doing mm-hmm. uh, without even knowing it. Um But for us personally, and I'm surprised we haven't talked about this yet. Uh, I know you know this, but (laughs) we we live in an RV full time and we made that choice intentionally um, because my clients can sit anywhere across the country and to have the mobility to take my home and my family with me to be able to go and spend. I mean, sometimes productions take six months to a year, depending on how big they are, um, where you need to be physically present and uh, to be able to have that flexibility in my schedule to design my life the way that makes sense for me and my family. That is huge. And um, to me, that is something that can't be replaced by working for someone else. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, my, my husband, he'll have his own projects that he works on and he does a lot within the Atlanta area. And eventually, you know, every once in a while, he'll get opportunities in other states or countries. Um, but my clients, you know, I have relationships because of, you know, my experiences, I have relationships all over the country. And so, um, you know, now that we're expecting our first baby to know that, um, I can be home with her and be present as a mother and also Mm -hmm. run a business, um, and, you know, help take care of my household, um, and be a partner to my husband, like having that, that, work-life balance. I mean, for me, this is what that looks like. And that's different for everyone. Absolutely. And so um, I would definitely say, you know, always be looking to identify what that looks like for yourself. But for me, having my own business has allowed me to design my life to have that work-life balance exactly how, you know, we, we dreamed it. Um, and I just, I, I don't think that I could find that anywhere else doing anything else. Yeah, that's amazing. That's really great that you've summed it up like that. Cause it is, it's working perfectly 
for you. And, and the fact that you said, I can't imagine doing anything else tells you you're in the right place doing the right thing. So that's awesome. And, you know, I think I, I've, I feel like I've waited my whole life to be able to say that, to be able to say I'm doing exactly what I'm passionate about and I love doing. And I see the, the impact of my work um, in the businesses and the lives that I affect through what I offer. And to, to have all of that return um, just by stepping out in faith and, and starting something of my own is not something that I take for granted. Um, and it was definitely calculated. It was a risk, but we had a lot of conversations about it and, um, you know, it wasn't easy. And when I say it wasn't easy, I don't even mean just the initial step. I mean, you know, the first year was very difficult, just really making that transition into, okay, I don't work for anyone else anymore. If I don't go to work, the work doesn't get done. The business doesn't move forward. There's just, there's so many things that change when you run your own business. Um, If you come from, you know, uh, a corporate environment or having worked for someone else, um, it's just, it's such a different dynamic, but um if you can, you know, be persistent and you can remember why you're doing it. Um, I, I now, you know, I, I can't imagine going back and, and working for someone else and, and not doing what I do now as a producer. Um, it, it was definitely the right move for me. Um, but there was a lot of consideration that went into it before making that change. Yeah. No. And, and that's, kind of ties back into my final question I ask all of my guests is if you could go back in time, what advice would you give yourself? Um, I have two, two things that I repeat to myself on a daily basis. And I wish that I had had this advice sooner, um, which is that every experience is an opportunity to learn something. So, um, definitely not encouraging someone to be in a situation that's not good for them. You know, if it's affecting you physically or mentally or emotionally, um, you know, definitely be looking for uh, another opportunity or something that's going to uh, be more healthy for you. But not everything in my life had to be perfect in order for me to gain something from it. So when I was, you know, in a transitional period or I was in a role that I didn't necessarily love, I still looked for what I could learn from it Mm -hmm. and um, how I was growing from it. And I think that that was very impactful to me um, because you focus less on the negatives because there's always negatives if you want to look for them. Yeah. Um, but it allowed me to say, okay, how is this serving me in this moment and potentially down the road? And so, you know, as we just walked down memory lane for me, there were a lot of things that, you know, at the time, like this isn't, this isn't forever. And it was frustrating, but if I hadn't had that experience, there's no way I would have been prepared for today and Mm -hmm. doing what I love now. And there, and I don't know that I would have even gotten to this realization that this is what I want to do because I hadn't had those experiences. So I just really encourage people to 
embrace life and embrace what's thrown at you. And, you know, obviously in a, in a safe way, but, um, to not shy away from challenges and, um, you know, hard situations, because that's where you're going to experience so much growth and a better understanding of yourself. So I think having that, that advice at a young age, um, you know, maybe I knew that intuitively, but um, having someone tell me that uh, and, and having been able to see that they went through that and it served them, that would have been really helpful. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing, you know, I mentioned I'm, I'm an empath. And so I care so much about doing things right and, you know, making my clients happy and um, just doing a good job. And one of the hardest things that I had to learn is that uh, you're going to get no's. You're going to get clients who are frustrated. Um, things aren't going to go the way that you planned. Things are going to happen outside of your control. Mm-hmm. Um, those are situations we all find ourselves in. And uh, my mentor um, at the time said to me one day when I, I'd gotten an email from a client that you know wasn't happy and, and I took it very personally. And he told me, it's all just information, good or bad. It's all information. And now that you have that, how are you going to move forward? And I tell myself that every single day because I still need that reminder. Uh, I still take, you know, uh, my, my um, natural reaction is to take things personally into heart, but I have to be able to say, okay, this is all information. It may not be what I wanted to hear, but how do I still support my client through it? How do we get creative and move past it? How do I handle this? Yeah. Um, and, and so that allows me to look at it as a positive, even though I may not like the context of what's being told to me, um, I'm able to digest it and say, you know, instantaneously, okay, how do we move forward? And I would say that has been the single most impactful piece of advice I've ever been given in my career. Um, you know, it spoke to me personally, but I think that, um, we all find ourselves in, in, you know, a situation where that could be helpful. Yeah. I think that's, that is so invaluable that there's just, or in, or valuable, you know, however it's phrased, (laughs) you know, the, because I, I think everybody gets that, you know, negative or, um, you know, downside of the, you know, the customer or situation and it's how you look at it. And more importantly, how you act, you know, when you get knocked down, do you get back up? And so looking at that as just information instead of it's, it's not indicative of who you are and that you'll always be this, you know, bad person or can't sell or whatever the scenario is, but taking that, you know, and using it to what's the next steps going to be, how do you adjust and move forward? I think that's really powerful. Yeah. And and I would hope that none of us go into our jobs every day saying like, oh, I don't really want to do a good job. I don't care. Um, If you are feeling like that, then uh, I would encourage you to to maybe explore other options because there is something out there that, you know, will excite you or, or, you know, make you want to do a good job. But um, if if you care, then obviously you're going to be bothered to to hear a no or hear some bad news. And that's good. That's 
that's a sign that it's important to you, that the work that you do is important. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to be equipped with the skills to be able to move forward. And uh, I was having a conversation with um, a colleague of mine the other day. Um, they were referring me to someone that they thought would be good for me to connect with. And he said, you know, what I remember about this person is when things went south, how they handled it. Mm-hmm. And that they showed up, that they didn't just, you know, jump ship and abandon me. They showed up the very next day and had solutions that we could choose from. Um, and and I think that's just such a testament to that advice is it, it's your, your partnerships will be defined by how you respond in the tough times. And that's true in personal relationships too. And especially as we focus on how important a network is, um, you want to be the person that people can say, you know, things didn't always go perfectly because things don't go perfectly, but they were always there. They were always reliable and they were always ready to come with a solution. Um, and I, I just can't stress enough how, how um, impactful that would be to someone's career, especially, you know, starting out out of college, if you can go in with that mindset of, you know, things aren't, aren't always going to be how I designed them, but I will respond to them with um, solutions then, uh, and I won't take it personally. I think that that will be instrumental to their success. Profound words, Amanda. I think this is a, <laughs> this is a good place for us to end this conversation. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for walking me through kind of your journey and the pivots. Cause I think it's, um, you know, you can look at it and go, how is a pre-med student in film production now? But <laughs> there's some threads there. And I think it's great, you know, for you to kind of share your journey and, and kind of highlight how that really isn't such a far-fetched idea to get from point A to point B where you are. And I'm also thankful you didn't go into labor while we did this podcast. So <laughs> not, not yet. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, Paul. It's been a pleasure being here. And, um, you know, I, I remember talking about this podcast when you first came up with the idea and just to now be sitting here um, being a part of it is an honor. So thank you for having me. You were on the list of one of my first guests. It's taken (laughs) me a year to do it, but we've been a little busy, both of us. So glad we could finally make it happen. So thanks again, Amanda. Thank you. Take care.